Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School. So listen, learn, enjoy and share. Welcome to this special episode of the Nottingham Business School's Business Leaders Podcast with me, Mike Sassy. Our guests today are three <coughs> hugely respected women leaders, each at the top of their chosen profession, which means they're all ideally placed to offer a well-informed opinion on the theme of this special episode, which is the role of women in the workplace in Britain in 2023. Now, our first guest is Sean Hampton, who is the CEO of the Archway Educational Trust, an organisation with 1,300 staff, a £50 million turnover, and 8,500 pupils in nine schools across the East Midlands. We also welcome Natalie Fay, Reach PLC's Regional Audience and Content Director, who edits daily news platforms in Nottingham and Lincoln, uh, and manages four other East Midlands titles, with more than 100 local journalists in her team. And our third guest is Melanie Curry, who is Deputy Dean of our own Nottingham Business School, an internationally accredited business, accredited business school, uh, one of the largest in the UK, with 400 staff and more than 8,000 students, and of course, based here at Nottingham Trent University. Thank you to you all for joining the ep- this episode of the Business Leaders Podcast. Now, you're all experienced women leaders. Um, I want to ask how you see the current state of gender equality in the British workplace. Um, Education traditionally has a strong female representation amongst its staff. So let's start with you, Sean. Thank you. Um, I think education has traditionally, as you say, been somewhere where women have tended to flourish, especially in primary education. However, if you look at some of the data around secondary education, you will note that more secondary head teachers across the country are men than women. And as we've seen the birth of the multi-academy trust sector, again, um, many men have risen to the top of that very, very quickly. Um, And it's actually taken a little bit of maturity in the system for there to be some beginning of gender equality across that and some understanding um, that actually that equality is really really important um, because we're educating young women and young men and this is the future of our society. So I'm pleased to say that at Archway Learning Trust um, our ELT is um, more ELT. women. Our executive leadership team. Oh. We have five women <laughs> and three men on it. <coughs> and we also have more female leaders at secondary level than we do um, male leaders. Is that unusual within the sector? It is. It is unusual in the and sector. And have, have you had a... F- is, that, is that because they have a female boss? I, I don't... I don't know whether it's actually because I am the female leader of the organisation and then there's maybe some more confidence about applying because you see somebody that looks a little bit like you, sounds like you, and you think, therefore, there's more opportunity. Whether there's a sense of unconscious bias, I don't know. In my appointment processes, um, I I suspect that that plays a part also. But also, I think there's something about recognising real talent. Um, and in our sector, there are a lot of really, really talented women, right. um, as well as men. Sure. So, Melanie, also in education, in the university sector, how, how does that compare with yourself? Is that what you see? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, um, as Shan has said, I think there's a lot of women in education, which is fantastic. So I think I think in equality levels, mm-hmm. particularly at university, that's, you know, pretty on, on par. Um, I think, of course, then you have differences in terms of the, you know, how that works out across the levels. So you get a lot of females doing leadership roles, course leadership, course management, a lot of the emotional support type work. Um, and then as you kind of um, go through the various levels, then there's differences at different stages. So at the professor level, then there can be differences in terms of um, that representation. I mean, I think it's really good in terms of stepping back and looking at the progress. I think the fact we're having these conversations all the time in terms of our EDI and thinking about where we are, (coughs) our equality, diversity, 
impact. Um, uh, so we're thinking about not just gender, but all the different um, types of, of colleagues that are working. So I think that's the first step. So I think we have seen improvements, but there's more to do as the role. You see it going in the right direction. Yeah, I, I do see it going in the right direction in terms of, as you say, lots more female leaders in roles helps other people see that they can do that and that's a possible. But I think we must also recognise that people have choices about what they want to do. So sometimes also females can step out for some time. They may yeah. choose to yeah. do that. We saw yeah. a lot of that. Um, post-COVID, a lot of people not returning to the workforce. Mm -hmm. So I think you've always got to take the, you know, the, the kind of statistics and, and, and the issues and be recognising it's about people having <coughs> choices. So equality of choice about doing things mm -hmm. is really important. Okay. Yeah. Now, Natalie, uh, I, 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 I can't resist throwing in my, 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 <laughs> my 10 pence worth here. I remember yeah. as an editor in, in a in a daily newspaper at the time, which would now be a daily website, yeah. there were 56 editors in Britain and there was yes. one woman, one single woman I know. editor. I think I'm going to be the outlier in this situation, I'm afraid, because journalism, as you know, full disclosure, Mike used to be my boss. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> um, So journalism is a very male-dominated industry. I mean, it still is. I'm the editor of the Nottingham Post, as you said, and Nottinghamshire Live, the website. I am the first female editor ever of the Nottingham Post, and it's taken 150 years, mm. which is quite a shock, really. So Reach PLC, which I work for, 61% of the employees are male and 39% are female. We have got quite a few female leaders coming up through the ranks now because of things we've had to put in place to make sure that women can do that. We've got a women mentoring scheme. Um, you know, we've got people in senior women leadership roles who are actively making sure other women can come up through the ranks as well. But it's still, there's still that kind of laddish culture and laddish image of journalism. So, Mike, you worked in journalism in the 90s and the early 2000s. There were always things like, you know, the five-a-side football club. There would be, like, the cricket playing on the radio all day. There would be, like, the football on the TV all the time. And if, as a woman, you spoke yeah. up and said, I don't want that, everyone would go, ah, oh, shut up, what's wrong with you? And there was that kind of laddish image of, you know, we've got to be really hard and get out there and get the stories. Whereas in and fact, has that changed now? Is it, is it, you see that as... It has changed. It's changed absolutely hugely. It's turned on its head. Um, to be a journalist, you need to be kind. You need to be empathetic. And in fact, if you went out and tried to get a story like that, you might have the door slammed in your face. But I think you need the women in leadership roles in order to create that change. You know, two of the top people at Nottingham Post now are women. You know Gemma Torsten, she's the head of content. I'm the editor. We work together and we set the culture, so it's not like that. Mm -hmm. But um, and is that is, is this that there are more women editors? I mean, I, I can see that there are, but you there are more women editors. But in the Midlands, I'm the only female editor. So you know, we've got Birmingham, Stoke, Leicester. They're all men. But you need the women what? there for that diversity of opinion. And um, so, why is it <coughs> that other sectors are, are are changing at a more rapid rate if they are? Why are they changing at a more rapid rate? Um, I think it's it's the way the job is. Or was we've I mean we're going to talk about how COVID disrupted things I'm sure mm -hmm. later but as a woman if you were pregnant pregnancy is a, is a big issue in many women's lives not all of course but if you were pregnant you suddenly couldn't go out on lots of jobs or it might not feel safe to do so mm -hmm. and then you had to have time away from the workplace and when you came back maybe you didn't want to do those late shifts anymore because you wanted to be there to put the kids to bed or whatever. Sure. And, you know, sure. I have to be totally honest, I've got a partner who's a stay-at-home dad and he's supported me massively, which has helped me get to the place I am now. But I want to make it easier for people coming up behind me to know that they can take time out for the family if they want to. Okay, so you've touched upon one issue there, but I, let me just throw in the big one, cash, obviously. Yeah. So if I, if I say that... Um, uh, the Office for National Statistics says that um, women still earn 15% less than men. Um, and interestingly enough, in media and education, women women like yourself will earn on average 25% less than their male colleagues. Mm. And I think it's sure that um, this is changing, but very slowly. So um, what could be done to speed it up? Um, well, actually, I think I've got really strong views about education and girls in the education mm. system. And I try to go out to school and speak to people. And I think we need to get girls when they're young mm. and say to them, look, you can do this as a job if you want to. It's not just journalism, it's science, mm. maths, engineering, mm. all those kinds of things. You can do these things. 
but you need to we need to get girls to be more assertive I think you know since I've become the person who decides about people's salaries I've seen that there are a lot of men come to me and say can I have a pay rise and there's not as many women doing that. I mean, that's just anecdotally. So you think you should. So you think the the the, the gender pay gap is is to a, to a certain extent in the hands of women themselves. Partially, not totally. Obviously, companies have got to do a lot to help women as well. We need to make um, flexible working normal, and that's going to encourage more women to not only come to your company and take the job and take the promotion, but to stay there too. Because turnover is a massive problem, and you know when women get pregnant, they leave the workplace. Um, but you know, I work for Reach. We've we've done a lot to help close that gender pay gap, and I've got some stats here. So in 2020, the mean pay gap was 16.3%, and it's down to 13.6 in 2021. So we are making moves to try and do that. Obviously, I checked the BBC stats before I came as well, and they're at 6.3%. So they've obviously done a lot more. It's, but it's you know, and, and I, is it is it easier for a public organisation to do that kind of thing? I, if I say to you, Sean, you you you. Not a public organisation, you're a private organisation, but you sort of straddle straddle the two to a certain extent. And you're, I'm guessing you're in charge of wages. How do you how do you find it? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that comment about people coming into the workplace. I mean, I think there's been a shift since COVID, full stop. And and, and to some extent, the millennials coming through the system are much more confident about asking for a, a pay rise or starting on a higher salary. Um, than I ever was when I started in my profession. You know, they'll sit in an interview and you'll offer them the job and they'll say, well, I will take it, but uh, what are you going to offer me? Which for me, culturally, um, as a public servant, is is really, really odd. So, so did, you say that, um, did you say that's in the last two years? That's since COVID? Since COVID, but it was already creeping in. I think the, the generation coming through um, post the millennium simply aren't prepared to do the same things that we got used to doing. Maybe I'm just showing my age. You're a lot younger than me. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> um, and uh, there, there is certainly now, post-COVID, this massive shortage of staff. And so to some extent, it is in the employees' hands, um, those conversations. But I agree that it's, it's more normal for a man to be asking for a better wage than it is for a woman. Is that something you're seeing too? Or is it... I mean, I would say, obviously, we have the very big privilege of educating lots of the the future generation. Mm. And I do see a lot of positives there, that there is a sense that they're not going to just say, I'll I'll follow what's always happened. Yeah, so I agreed. do think there's a lot more optimism. And is that a recent thing? I would say probably in, educa- in higher education, you've probably seen that, you know, the last eight to 10 years, that sense of I want to be able to work more flexibly. I want to work, you know, work wherever. I think COVID has accelerated that because yeah. that's not yeah, possible agreed. to be a digital yeah. nomad and, and to have multiple careers and a lot more people starting their own businesses. So I think there's a lot of positives. But, but why is that? that? So how would it be? Um, how would that? Would there be a gender difference there? Because of the things that you've described, or I think that you've all described, um, um, can, could go across men and women is it that women are taking more advantage of that or is it just a greater opportunity for them or what yeah i mean i i think i would agree with shan in a sense that um i think we are seeing more people feeling comfortable asking about pay and conditions than mm. perhaps previously so i think that's a good thing and you're right it can feel like oh okay we're having that conversation but actually if you think about the statistic where the equal pay day in the UK is something like the 20th of November in 22, where, you know, those things are, are really important because they land with people. And I think social media plays a, a big role in that because the, the generation coming into the workforce, you know, are, are part of that and understand that. And, the, you know, the whole kind of TikTok um generation so i think they see these things so on those sorts of days there's a lot of organizations that will be on social media revealing the individual pay differences you know they do that for universities they do that for education establishments they do it for private so you're socializing that conversation i think then that lands with people to say hold on a minute i might oh i might think about this i do think there's still a lot of conditioning particular you know in the age profile of organizations um Older colleagues will will ask less because mm. they've been yeah. conditioned to think, no, I don't talk about that. Mm. Yeah. So mm. I, when you talk about equal pay, I think there's differences across all the segments in an organisation. So I think it's fantastic that the younger 
um, generation coming in feel comfortable with that because only in having those conversations will we see those changes mm. come through whereas I think it was in a lot of conditioning that that's not something that you talk about. Okay so that's the cash aspect what follows on naturally from that is 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 the issue of promotion. Mm. Um, uh, is the glass st- is the glass ceiling still in place now at the end of last year I, I, this sticks in my mind for whatever reason the tax office HMRC big nationwide employer um, said that in the previous 12 months it had recruited 6200 men but it had recruited 6700 women and, and it also promoted within its own organization 4700 men but it promoted 5000 women which which I looked at that and thought is that unusual or is it something that's mirrored across across um, across most organisations. I mean, again, I think that's part of the whole, um, you know, change where organisations with more than 250 employees have to reveal their pay differences and they have to have plans and objectives about how they're going to make and close those gaps. So I think, again, that's really important in that conversation. And I think it's also recognising that you can only change things by, you know, having plans not for this year, but next year, the year after, is that kind of future forward workplace. And of course, there's gaps and pockets in all workplaces about, you know, skills and talents. So people are looking wider and further um, for some of that. Is there a glass ceiling still in place? I mean, of course, um, it depends in organisations. I think it's very much a case that uh, you have to push through as a female in lots of organisations. Work harder than a man to be promoted. I think you I think you have to feel comfortable with promoting yourself in yeah. terms of um, recognising there is that ceiling that may or may not be recognised by other people. But you have to advocate for yourself. You have to be your own promotional person. Mm-hmm. And that's an uncomfortable thing for lots of females because, again, it's conditioning about... You know, don't make a fuss, don't say anything. Somebody will notice that you're doing great work. And when I said earlier that we have a lot of colleagues who do fantastic, you know, work in, in course leadership roles, who mentor, support students, provide a lot of emotional support. In some ways, there's a rec- there's a, a hopeful recognition that will be noticed and then promotion will follow. But you still have to, you know, push forward. Twice in what you have said, you've talked about women being particularly good at offering emotional support. Mm. Um, do you do you is that does that lead to Natalie and you does that does that need to women being pigeonholed perhaps because I, I absolutely recognise that I see it completely and yeah. is this good or bad but I used to use that myself you know when you have middle managers who are women and who are very good at their job and you have a, a, a difficult situation which you know they are more they are more adept at than yourself you ask them to do it is that the kind of uh, is that the kind of thing which is good or bad. Well, I think it's good because you do need those people in the mix who can sympathise with people. And there are some people in my team, at least, that, you know, might have a particular issue and they will only speak to a woman about it because they don't feel comfortable speaking to a man. Um, But, yeah, sometimes they can be pigeonholed. And, you know, I can think of examples uh, from when we used to work together where there's one particular person who used to sort of be the agony aunt for the newsroom in a way. You know, so that is a bad thing. But um, back to what... You were saying, Melanie, about the fact that women have to sort of promote themselves. I thought that was a really interesting point because I feel like as a woman, you need to do everything. You need to be at this kind end of the spectrum, but also you need to be at the assertive end of the spectrum as well, promoting yourself. And you need to sort of be extra resilient in a way. I mean, there's been times where I've been in meetings where, you know, you've spoken to those same people I've spoken to in the past. And I've kind of thought to myself, I bet you would not have spoken to uh, Mike like that. Sorry to bring you personally into it. So in a way, I felt like I had to be, you know, doubly resilient on what you were and kind of even more, um, you know, not defensive, but defending myself. And um, so, you know, it's difficult to try and be everything because you don't want people to think that you're horrible or, you know, this really kind of hard nosed person. And yet men don't have, men aren't worried about yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> so, I mean, actually thinking about it now and I'm talking about it, I think I actually have this internal struggle quite a few days where I'm like, well, I need to be assertive and resilient, but also I am actually a nice person, so you can talk to me about your problems. So it's difficult. Is this something you've come across, John? Well, funny you should mention that. I just think leadership calls on us all to have a whole range of tools in our toolkit. And um, I suspect that women have to have more, potentially, than men. And again, I think this goes back to the culture around what we see as good leaders. 
Um, and I think what, what we have traditionally seen as good leaders is somebody who's hard and is tough and is resilient and is um, risk-taking um, and can be aggressive, not assertive. Um, and actually, we know from the massive amounts of research that actually leadership may involve some of those traits, but actually good leaders can actually be vulnerable to be strong. They can show that they aren't omnipresent or um, they don't have a monopoly on wisdom. They don't have to work 24 hours to be effective. And I actually think as female leaders, that's the that's the area where we need to change people's thinking. It's a cultural thing about what is really leadership about and what makes a good leader. And I would agree. And I just, I, I just want to make that point about there's something to do with also girls and particularly in the education you see this in GCSE and A-level the sense of girls set themselves really high perfection so mm. perfection is mm. once measured mm. getting all the A's the A-stars mm. getting mm. to the best mm. really striving follow that through in mm. education get mm. the best qualifications have for quite a long time now both at GCSE and A-level and now at degree level girls mm. are obtaining better mm. than, than males mm. but coming with that level of perfection is this sense that you can't show a weakness. Yes, yeah, can't I agree. Chink, that you have to yeah. be perfect all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And actually to be a yeah. good leader, you have to say, do you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get back yeah. to you. Yeah. Where, whereas boys, are, you know, quite happy to show their weaknesses. Yeah. They don't, yeah. they don't yeah. care yeah. if they're seen as a bit lazy. or. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I also think in terms of this glass ceiling, I think... We've we've gone through this process of having to demonstrate our data, so our, our gender equality data, and I think that's a really, really strong thing. But actually, how many of us are challenged about the clarity of our um, developmental work and our promotion opportunities? So they need to be really transparent. It's not a tap on a shoulder because you know somebody who knows somebody, mm -hmm. and that's what we need to counter. So every employee should have a clear route through an organisation that is... Um, offered to them and that they're provided training for and when promotions become available there is a clear and transparent process so that they can apply for those um, and I think if we do more of that um, then the likelihood of these glass ceilings is much more yeah. you know yeah. and, and this is something we've really been working on at REACH in yeah. recent years uh, so we've got an apprenticeship scheme before yeah. we never had our first apprentice again for however many years 61% of our apprentices last year were women and we've got transparent pay benchmarks now, mm. which we never had before. We've got career progression frameworks yeah. for everybody. Yeah. But all this has been very recent. But, you know, I'm under no illusion that this will help women, definitely. Mm. So. And I think it is that support, as you say, because mm. sometimes females don't go for the promotion because they think they can't do everything yes. that's on that job specification. Yeah. Therefore, it's not for them. Yeah. Whereas yeah. men will say, oh, I might take a punt on doing yes. that so yeah. I think it's a lot of education in that process and coaching and mentoring mm. and supporting women mm. through mm. you can do this so mm. the perfection doesn't mean you have to be absolutely a hundred percent there has to be those development mm. opportunities there was a line in what you said there earlier another one of your throwaway lines which which was the fact that it's it's statistically recognized that women achieve better results GCSE mm. a level degree level so is the answer of, of, of having a, and yet obviously there's still this huge pay gap, mm. is the answer, this career path, which Sean outlined, that people should be given when they join an organisation, or is there something more than that? I, I think the career path is really important, but I, I also think that mentoring and supporting and coaching so that you, you know, you believe that you can do this and that, that you know, you're, you're helped. So, you know, we're all in the roles that we are because women have gone before us and, mm. and moved through. So every generation pays back to the next generation. So these things, as Natalie said, will take time. I think there's some statistic like the gender pay gap, if we do nothing, you know, we'll keep moving won't close to 2058 or some such thing. So mm. there has to be times that you really push you're, you're talking about <clears throat> women helping women. If you're in an organisation <clears throat> like Natalie's, which is historically dominated by men, yeah. women helping women, well, there weren't many women there in the first place, so it has yeah. to be across across uh, across men as well? Yes, of course. It's about I think it's about making sure that everybody is... You're reaching all the talents and you're supporting all of the people in your organisation into different roles and responsibilities. But there has to be a degree of positive discrimination in, in favour of women. Is that what you're saying? No, I don't think I'm saying... But I, I think you've got to recognise 
that you're that in terms of advertising for roles, that you have to not just close down the box very quickly and say, I only want this type of person, that you have to be open to people from all sorts of talents. But actively being helpful to, don't get me wrong, it's the brightest, it's the highest achievers yeah, of GCSE and A-level and, and degree, so don't get me wrong. Well, I think, I think a, an encouragement to put yourself forward, mm-hmm. but not to see that as a failure if you don't get it, because only by trying do you learn and move forward. So I think it's recognising that you have to be in that mix because if you stand outside it for quite a long time thinking, oh, that's not for me, I'll wait another five years to do this and then I'll go forward. What's happening then, you know, it's a bit like the glass escalator. Men are going to pass you by at a quicker speed in the speed that you're having. So I think it's about it's about having that equality of choice for everybody and a good leader is trying to make sure that's part of the organisational mix. Okay. Um, we touched in, 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 in well, a number of times in what we've been talking about on the pandemic. Um, and I know that um, there's a, obviously a, a big movement towards more remote and hybrid working. Um, what effect has that had on, on gender? I know you, 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 don't, you work a lot of remotely, don't you, Natalie? Mostly so, remotely, yeah. 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 Um, it's been a huge help for women. But um, I'm only saying for women because they're the main, still traditionally the main people who look after children if they have them. So, you know, it's helping parents of all kinds, although that is mostly women. Um, you know, more than ever before, people feel that they can just um, quickly pop off to take their kids for the school run. And that's fine, as long as you're not working on a story on deadline or you're not supposed to be in a meeting and you have to trust people to be able to do that. So they'll be gone for like 15 minutes and that's fine. Um, but, you know, I found it has improved my quality of life immeasurably because... Um, You know, my kids came to me and said, oh, mummy, it's so good that you're not in the office every single day now. And I thought, oh, my God, you know. So um, if we can just the the problem was before COVID, flexible working wasn't really, let's just be honest, acceptable. It was a bit like, okay, what's that person doing? They're not really doing anything at home. So now that COVID has come along and we've seen that we can do it and, you know, we, we can get our daily newspaper out every day. We can meet our page view targets. Nottinghamshire Live at the moment, we're ahead of target, we're performing really well, but we all work remotely. So now we've seen we can do it because we were forced to. Um, we've normalised it, but I think in some industries still there might be that kind of feeling that, you know, okay, you should really be in the office and but, be present to be able to. But in terms and of I know gen- in education you do have to be present. If only. Has it been a benefit for, for, for women more than men or is it, or is it just the same? I think... I think it's been a benefit for parents and people who are slightly older. I totally accept that young people do, and people who are just coming to the industry find it difficult. And we we know as a company, we've still got a lot of work to do in that area. Um, But, you know, more women, I think it encourages more women to come and work for us and to stay with us as well. So it decreases the turnover because Mm -hmm. they know Mm -hmm. that if they ever went to that stage in their life, there would be flexibility and acceptance that, yeah, you know. So so it's a straight positive. It's a straight positive. It's more tricky <laughs> in my sector um, because essentially we provide childcare for the nation's parents so they can go to work. Um, hopefully we provide a little bit more than that, but essentially that is our function. Um, and I can't see any government anytime soon accepting that we can do things remotely. All the digital poverty aside, I actually think that there were young people who learnt better remotely, not five days a week, not like it was during the pandemic, but there were some ghost children, the hidden children, the quiet children, often the girls who didn't like to speak up, that actually really flourished working online. Um, And I actually think that education in the next 10, 15, 20 years may completely change and we may actually see um, some online learning and a hybrid model for young people too however the other function of school other than providing an education obviously is about socialization and you can't do that on your own in your in your bedroom and i think that's always going to be really really important and does that affect does that um problem um uh, affect um well young women more than more than men i'm Not sure it does. I think that what we see in schools is that young women tend to be more effective communicators, actually, than men. Um, They are very effective on their mobiles and the TikTok and all of that. 
which sometimes gets in the way. Um, but they are also much more likely to sit and talk together and to meet together. Um, boys tend to socialise around an event such as a football game or something to do rather than choosing necessarily to just sit and have a chat. It's a make huge stereotypical gender yes. um, assertions. In terms of the workforce, um, teachers have to come into work um, and therefore that flexibility isn't there and they did like that flexibility during lockdown. But we found that the infrastructure around uh, the teaching staff, so people in finance and um, people in HR, et cetera, et cetera, having some hybrid working is actually really effective and they have flourished on that. And I think... It's both male and female. I agree it's parents that yeah. find that flexibility particularly attractive. Again, I'm going to draw thing, two things together. We've established that, that young women are better achievers within the academic um, you know, uh, initial exams in school and then further on. And now you're saying they're also better at social, socialisation. Yeah. I'm going to give you a big question here, Matt, Melanie. How, <laughs> how, can, how, can, how can that all feed? And yet there's still this huge pay, gender pay gap. How can, when, when will all that feed through into into the workforce? Wow, that's a question. Um, I mean, I, I think the challenge is about at what time does the kind of that wave of incoming super talent that we have of, you know, young girls, young men come in, really change the workforce. So I think that wave is really building to change the workforce. But of course, at the other end of the workforce, you have some resistance potentially to some of the new ways or the ability to work flexibly or to be your authentic self. So it's in the not too distant future, I remain optimistic that that incoming wave of fantastic talent and respect and wanting you know to change the environment and to have better places is going to, you know, to kind of be the tipping point. What, might, what might create that tipping point? I think it I think it's probably just a few more years of that really changing the demographic in organizations. I mean if you think about some of the big social media companies you see a lot you know again they get good and bad reviews but the sense to which they try to make their workplaces a really social environment yes they can that to make them very work very hard but the sense to which it's recognizing the whole person and I think what covid probably gave us was the sense of recognising the whole person a little bit more and their value in mm, an organisation. Mm, mm. I think it would be remiss of us if I didn't say that, you know, COVID did have a lot of impact on females in terms of the emotional labour is carried more. And there was a lot of research suggesting that, you know, women were held back a little, whether that's in research careers or, you know, in professional careers, because they maybe had to carry a bit more of the schooling or the, the unseen stuff at home. But I think at least that's again, in that conversation and recognising that we must, you know, move in and change those things. So I always remain optimistic. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm hesitating to, to, to throw this, this, this next one in there because it's a, it's a, it's a statistic which I know I've, I've, I've spoken to or I've, I've showed you all previously, but I was a bit shocked by it. Um, and it, I'm pushing an open door here because it feeds into a lot of what you've been saying. Um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a big HR survey uh, carried out every year uh, and last year's survey, 6,000 women across Britain, 96% of them believe that having a female boss would improve their working day. <laughs> it's written, I mean, it, it's very nicely written, so don't get me wrong. It's obviously uh, playing to an audience, but 96%, does that chime with you, Nat? Uh, that's an astounding statistic, isn't it? Um, I wonder who they surveyed, always a bit doubtful about these. But um, me personally, I think... I'm not bothered as long as my boss has or my leader has all those qualities that we've talked about, you know, can actually be empathetic. Is that because you've achieved now? Um, <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't think so, no. But, but looking at it from the other side, people in my team have said to me, I'm so glad to work in a team where there's a female editor. And I've, I've thought, God, I've really not thought about that before. And that's kind of inspired them to And I sat and listened to that and, as well. I sat yeah. and heard that a lot, a lot. Yeah. You know, not to be saying I'm from but saying oh, you know, it's great working for this woman. No man ever said it's great to work for a man. In my experience, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had... <laughs> obviously, <laughs> I mean, you know, like 
current lawn manager is, is a great man, just on the record. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. He, he went to his nativity and told me about it, and I thought, okay, that's fine. Uh, it's acceptable for me to go to my nativity as well, then, if you did. Matt, what are you looking for? <laughs> a report on his nativity, please? Or for, um, uh, or no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, just to get to the point, I, I don't particularly want a female boss. I just want a boss that can be a good leader and have all those qualities I'm looking for. So I'm not really sure why people would say they particularly want a female boss. I mean... It is nice to have a woman to talk to because, you know, then you can say, right, I've got to go and do this. Or, you know, I've had someone say to me, I've got to tell you this because the lads won't understand kind of thing. So I think you need those female colleagues, definitely. But in terms of a line manager, I personally am not particularly bothered about whether it's a man or a woman. Okay, Sean, what do you think when you hear a stat like that? Do you believe it? I, I find it a bit weird. Maybe what it says about those 6,000 women is that they're being really badly led by... 6,000 male leaders. So that's, that's not 6,000. <laughs> that's a story with 6,000 bad male managers. Right, okay, okay. But it doesn't, I mean, it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm very similar to Natalie. I have been led by great and bad, both men and women. And actually what I found is that spurred me on in my own career because I've always thought, gosh, I could do a better job than they're doing. Um, <laughs> and so I found that quite motivational, having a, a bad leader, but I don't think it's gender specific. Um, I do think there's maybe a more serious point that sort of sits behind it all, which is that there are some genuine issues that face women in the workplace that aren't having to be faced by their male counterparts you know being pregnant at work going through your menstrual cycle at work having the menopause to deal with at work these are things that we don't talk about um often get put down into the hysterical woman category still 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 yeah and we should I, talk about them. And we should oh, yeah. talk about them because they are physical changes that a woman has to go through, but a male counterpart doesn't. And I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't issues, for example, like testicular cancer, that maybe we should be talking about more in the workplace also. But the reality is that there are things that we suffer that men don't. Mm. And therefore, there is a sense that only a woman can understand, which is nonsense. I think it's more that women feel more confident to talk to another woman about it because they feel that they will understand it better. Sure. So, Melanie, but are these societal things as opposed to workplace-specific? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot, if you look at a lot of the research, particularly in women, about gender, you know, and the, the kind of the words and the terminology that are used, whether, you know, that, that, you know, that social conditioning of, of what you're expected. So I was gobsmacked by your stat because I was thinking really because I've seen so many reports that say the opposite I wouldn't want a female boss because they would be you know like the queen bee they'd be horrible to other women mm. so I think for every one of these reports there's a kind of counter um, so I do think that that work starts early days in education about recognising everybody's value, everybody's opportunity and trying to move away from those unhelpful labels about good boss, bad mm. boss, mm. you know, mm. male, female, because mm. well, it, for me, the uncomfortableness with the gender thing starts to split us. And as a country, we split about enough things. Mm. One is not better than mm. the other. Different times require different leadership. And mm. I, I agree completely with Shan. It's about that toolkit that you have once you start to genderize it a little, mm. it can get into that, oh, you know, all female bosses are like this, or all male bosses are like that. And I think it's about an organization trying to find and support the best people in the roles at that time. Mm. And we shouldn't necessarily think it has to be one or the other. Um, but I think we have, you know, we see that playing out very massively on social media again the kind of gender piece and and how young men particularly are are feeling a little lost with that and we, you know we're seeing a rise in mm. you know in lots of misogyny and things so we have to challenge that we can't mm. pretend that's not happening sure. and we have to educate um so sometimes although i'm a complete advocate for you know equality i think sometimes it it is unhelpful when we say one is good and one is bad mm. you know mm. men good you know women bad so 
I think that point you made about young men is very important, actually, because mm. we're doing a lot to help women, and that's brilliant. We've yeah, still got a lot more to do. Yeah. But I do worry that young men are kind of getting neglected. Is that controversial? I don't know. But they seem to be radicalising a lot and, mm. you know, mm. becoming worse, some of them. And, um, you know, especially young boys at mm. school, they're falling behind. And so I think what I'm trying to say is, you know, we need to help women, definitely. But also we shouldn't forget about the men. And it's about equality, isn't it? Helping everybody Absolutely. what they need. It's about equality. And, and, and it can be an unintended consequence of really promoting, you know, particularly in, in education, you know, come on, everybody do really well that you can have this left behind and that's mm-hmm. not helpful because society needs everybody to be moving at a similar pace and having that equality of opportunity. Sure. And in, in, the, in that vein, okay, so I would ask each of you, what would be um, the single thing a company or an organisation could do, could do best to foster equality within the workplace? Obviously, to help women achieve everything that they should achieve, and um, but also, as I say, it's a broader, broader than that, as you've just brought up in the last discussion, broader than that, to foster equality across the organisation. Sean, what do you think? I think it's about cultural change, and cultural change is really, really tough. And as I said earlier, um, I think it's about looking at leadership in a completely different way, and actually saying that leadership. Um, doesn't always have to be perfect it doesn't always have to have all the answers it doesn't have to be aggressive and cutthroat it can be collaborative it can be empathetic it can be tough and firm and clear but actually we need to foster within our organizations and it's something that I'm working on in mine a sense where people feel safe safe to make mistakes, safe to ask questions, and therefore safe in the knowledge that they are looked after, cared for, in order for them to be effective. So they've got to be good at their jobs because they're responsible for hundreds of young people and we really, really care about that. So it doesn't mean it's not accountable and it doesn't mean that difficult conversations won't take place, but that whole area of radical candor where we can have conversations with people and give them feedback and help them to get better has to be done within a cultural norm of this is how we are in this organization. People feel safe. They know how they can progress. They know what they need to do to progress. And it's not about who you know. It's about how effective you are. Okay. Natalie, radical candour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you've said, and I would have said the same myself, but I'm going to say something different now as well. I think um, we need to change recruitment policies, and I think this is a bit of a problem in my company, actually, and we're aware of it. Um, we're, we're having trouble even getting women through the door in the first place which is why I spend a lot of my time going around schools and universities like NTU, where we are today, speaking to women and girls and showing them that you can do this job. Um, Because, you know, when it's not a case of sometimes having a a short list of equal men, equal women, because I haven't even had any women apply. So I think journalism's got an image problem. And, you know, it's people like me and other editors and other leaders in the industry who need to go around and try and change that opinion of the industry so we can solve the recruitment problem. Okay, so we've had cultural change, a specific recruitment issue. What do you think, Cameron? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with both those things. I think there's a saying that, um, you know, culture eats strategy for mm-hmm. breakfast. And I think lots of organisations are saying the right things and, you know, doing the reports. But at the end of the day, it's about how people feel inside an organisation and do they feel they're being seen Do they feel that they're supported and safe? And I think it's really important. Natalie talks about the, you know, getting people in for the recruitment process. It's equally important when you're doing the recruitment process that you have panels that have wide amount of voices on it. You, you know, include people from all parts of the organisation because I think it's recognising that we've, we've perhaps in some organisations you you recruit the people you've always recruited and therefore Mm. it's very hard Mm. to break out of that Mm. cycle and therefore it's important that we are at all stages trying to encourage people to put themselves forward but to see it as a learning exercise but I think you cannot move away from that cultural piece being important people 
you know, people don't leave organisations, they leave people. So if they don't feel comfortable because they're not being valued sure. or they're not getting the respect they think they have or their career's not moving, then they move. And in the current um, environment, there's a lot of ability to move. So organisations should want to keep yes. those individuals and support them in, in the ways that they can. Okay, that's all very clear. I mean, to a greater or lesser degree, that is all about cultural change across all three answers that you gave there. So therefore, if, if finally I just look at the other side of the equation and we look at um, young women, young women who are would-be leaders, if you had one piece of advice that you could offer to them as they start off on their career, what might that be, Sean? We have um, uh, a motto, a strap line at a lot of the Blue Coast schools, which is believe in yourself, in others and in God, uh, because it's a faith-based organisation. And, and I think that sense of self-belief is really, really important. Um, and also caring for other people, because you don't want to step on other people in, in, in the pursuit of your own career. Um, and I remember waking up to gender inequality sort of probably in my late 20s, 30s, because I was brought up to believe I could do absolutely anything. <laughs> to the point where my parents thought me applying to university was quaint because I was ever so good with my hands. Um, <laughs> and off I went to Girton. So that is in my DNA and has been since I was tiny. And it, it, and it was quite a shock when I realised that actually that wasn't people's lived experiences. Um, so I, trying to help young people to understand that actually... They are perfectly, wonderfully formed. They weren't an accident. That They've got huge potential and can achieve anything that they want. It's really easy to say and really tough to do. And I suppose a, a side note to that is that the public schools are brilliant at that. Yes, inculcating yes. their young people to believe yes, that they are future it. prime ministers Absolutely. and that they're wonderful. It can breed arrogance, but... In a city school, it would, I'd just be grateful if they got to the point okay. where they started to believe. That. So self belief. Yeah. Natalie, what would you what would you ask um, of them? I think I'd be saying to them, you need to do things your own way. So carve your own path. So it's that self belief again. Yeah. But you know, you need to. I, I think we're going to talk about Karen Brady and the interview she did in the Times in a minute. I did read that and I agreed with a lot of what she said. <laughs> you know, you need to ignore what people think of you to a certain extent. Because, you know, ignore the people who are rolling their eyes maybe and saying, oh, God, what are you doing? We've never done this before. Or you've done well for yourself, that kind of patronising thing that has been said to me, actually. And um, when you're building up that resilience, I think you also need to um, set your boundaries as well. And I think this is quite important for me as a female leader because I'm a little bit in the public eye, not massively. But, you know, I've kind of set my boundaries. I've seen you on television. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. But, you know, you need to set your boundaries about how much you're going to share of your own life out there. So I never talk mm -hmm. about my kids on social media, for example. That's my choice. Some people talk about their kids all the time. That That's probably what I'd be saying to people. Yeah. So believe in yourself, carve your own path. Melanie. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a similarity here. I mean, for me, it's authenticity, which mm. is very similar. Mm. Um, I remember when I took on the job of Deputy Dean, I was like, OK, I now must be different. Today, I'm going to be really different. I'm going to talk in a different way because I think these rules require it. I'm going to be incredibly... <laughs> well, just about that. That's the gender thing. I had that as well. I spent a good 20 minutes trying not to talk like this. But I think I gave up. <laughs> and about, you know, I thought, I'm going to have to do this now because people are going to expect this of me. And about two minutes after I'd had that thought, I thought, no. You're going to be who you are, yeah. and and people will like you sometimes, and they won't like you, and yeah. you can't. It's yeah. Yeah. it's not about yeah. that. It's about making the decisions and yeah. having the thoughts and sharing them. So that authenticity, and if you're if you're pretending to be authentic but you're not authentic, that that, that, that can shows. get into to trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I also think brave. You do have to be brave because there's a lot of walls to knock down. There's a lot of battles to fight. There's a lot of flack that will come your way. But you have to keep focused on what is I, what do I want to get? What's the long goal here? Because if you get yourself upset about everything that happens every day, yeah. and it comes to fill your mind, so it's like, what do I want? What do I want to achieve for my team, for my students, for the school? What are those goals? And then that bravery and authenticity, I think, are really important. 
That's great. I, I, can't, I can't miss out this last question now, which I was going to, seeing as Natalie doesn't alluded to. <laughs> so, and finally, and finally, and finally, <laughs> um, we'll talk about Karen Brady's interview in, in The Times, which I laughed out loud when I read it. I mean, it was, she's a newspaper columnist as, as much as anything else, so give him a good headline. Um, successful businesswoman, company director, several times over. Um, uh, the BBC's Apprentice, which is where everybody will know her from, where she's a judge. She said that definitely women had better brains than men. Is that, is that something you might agree with, Sean? In your experience, in your oh, definitely, man. definitely no. Right, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to because this could go on for another half hour. I'm going to actually go. I'm going to say you got one line one each word. in your in your in your experience. In my experience, there are as many talented men as there are women out oh, there. Oh, very diplomatic. Yeah. I want to say more than one line. You can kind yeah. of two lines. You've got two. But, um, they're different. And I'm going to give you an example of this. So, you know, we've got maternity review going on at the moment at Nottingham Hospitals. I was in conference. Everyone else there was a man. And I, yeah. And we were like, what are we going to do with this story now? How are we going to move it on? And I said, well, look, I'm the only person in this room who's actually given birth in that hospital. So I'm going to write about it. And I think that demonstrates the point that you need this diversity of yeah. diff- men and women who can all bring different things into it. So it's not a matter of brain, uh, brain size, Melanie? Uh, no, <laughs> I agree entirely. It's not. I mean, I, I think those articles, as you say, they're written to kind of be provocative yeah. and fine. But I can't, no, I can't describe to that because it takes you down the narrative of, again, pitting people against each yeah. other. So I think it's recognising all the the talents. However, if that article gets people thinking about that again and thinking, oh, interesting, what do we think? Because as I said to you, you know, a lot of females are very successful until they get into employment where then the gaps start to become more apparent. Mm-hmm. So in one level, I'll take it as helpful, but I can't describe Quite okay. Well, I, well, I can't just well, say that. Obviously, I don't agree either. So, so I'm glad that in the is there's something that we can all agree on. So I'd say, Sean Hampton, Melanie Curry, and Natalie Faye, thank you very, very much for joining us here on the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, why not check out some of the others that are available, including those with former banking executive Robin Fole and sportswear marketing guru Charlotte Cox. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy and it was produced by John Collins. Hold up. 